right, let's get started. If you haven't met me, my name is Stuart. I'm the leader of the church. A very warm welcome to you this evening. Now, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be starting our new sermon series tonight. Hopefully you caught the video that went out on our kind of social media and WhatsApp and uh, the like. And what we're going to be doing as we journey from Christmas to the cross, heading down to Easter, we're going to be looking at the words and phrases that Jesus spoke from the cross and these are recorded in all of our gospels in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke and in John and they total seven different things that were said you'll find uh, three in Luke three in John and one is recorded in both Mark and Matthew and they are uh, the first one is father forgive them they don't know what they're doing the second one is today you'll be with me in paradise Uh, the third is behold your mother the fourth is I thirst Um, The fifth, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, The sixth, it is finished. And the seventh, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And these words are significant because they are the culmination of Jesus' earthly ministry. And they sum up what was achieved by Jesus' death on the cross. Seven actually is the biblical number uh, for completeness. So I don't think it's a coincidence that there were seven things recorded by the gospel writers that Jesus did. And they kind of, they're the, the, the summary of what Jesus' life and ministry was leading to and what he achieved. And we have the privilege um, of hearing those last words for, our, for ourselves. And they reveal the heart of God. Uh, they reveal what the death on the cross Uh, achieve for us they reveal what is important to God in those kind of final moments and as we kind of roll down to Good Friday and then uh, Easter Sunday and we remember Jesus death and his resurrection and we meditate on that these words will help us they will provoke us they will teach us and they will again hopefully lift our hearts and our eyes and remind us again uh, what an incredible act uh, Jesus death on the cross and his subsequent subsequent resurrection was for us and for all mankind uh, throughout the ages I want to recommend a couple of books uh, just that might help you in this process we're currently reading through Luke's gospel sort of together as a church through our life groups going from Christmas to the cross um, and if you haven't picked up this one this is um, uh, a study of Luke uh, by Phil Moore in 60 Bite Side Insights so just a few pages each taking a section of Luke um, this is fantastic for just getting into the gospel reading alongside it catching up on some stuff getting some insight um, so there's that and the second one is um, The Final Days of Jesus this is by Andreas Kostenberger and Je- Justin Taylor this one I love um, I've read this couple of times but this is this is a book that takes all the um accounts of jesus death the final week of his life from palm sunday to easter uh, easter sunday um, and it puts them all in chronological order so you can kind of read through it as a timeline of what happened in jesus life Um, and they're outstanding just in your study and so i've got a few copies of these to give away if you want a copy message me in the chat uh, and we'll get it to you and you can um use it to study so the final days of Jesus and Luke uh, bite-sized study by Phil Moore they are excellent so what we're going to look at today is the first of these seven words um, and this is found in Luke 23 so if you've got a bible you go to Luke 23 I'm just going to read a few verses around that sort of to frame it for us Um, and just to remind you of the context what we've got is we've looked at Luke's gospel as a whole it begins with the kind of Christmas story, the, the virgin birth, Jesus has arrived, he's God the Son come to, to earth. We see him baptized by John in the Jordan and the Holy Spirit comes on him, goes into the wilderness. Um, and then he comes out, uh, Luke chapter four, and he makes his proclamation that the spirit of the Lord is upon him. He's come to preach good news to the poor, set the captives free, open blind eyes. And he spends the next 
kind of three and a half years and all those chapters in Luke kind of working out that mission and you see him forming miracles and teaching and healing and casting out demons and incredible things and while that's happening an opposition to Jesus grows continues to grow um, and then we see Palm Sunday and Jesus enters uh, Jerusalem on a donkey and the crowds go wild and they're crazy and then he, he cleanses the temple and he's teaching the people and the opposition from the leaders kind of hit that sort of um kind of crux point and they decide they're going to kill this guy they want to they want to kind of get rid of him and, and and find a way just to kill him knock him out and we have Jesus and the Lord's Supper with his disciples where he does the bread and the wine he says do this in remembrance of me and then Judas agrees to betray him he's arrested by the authorities the disciples flee they run they get out of there because they don't want to get caught up in it Peter his best friend denies him and says, I don't know, Jesus, he's tried by Herod and the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. He's found innocent, yet he's still condemned. He's then sentenced to death. He is beaten by the Roman soldiers. He is flogged, which is a horrific ordeal that killed people outright, just the flogging. And then he is led out to be crucified. And crucifixion um, itself was a hideous form of punishment, of capital punishment. It was used throughout the Roman Empire as a means of terror. Um, historians tell us that the Persians kind of invented it, but the Romans perfected it. And it was considered such a terrible way to die that Roman citizens were exempt from crucifixion. That was something that would never happen to a Roman citizen. It was just considered too horrific, too, too ghastly to even be talked about. And in fact, it was so bad, a new word was invented to describe the pain and suffering of a victim of crucifixion. And that word is excruciating. It literally means excrucio from the cross. It was so horrible. They had to think of a new word for it. And Jesus um, was led out. He was crucified. And there wasn't just the, the physical pain of, of having nails rammed through your wrists and your ankles and then hung up, um, left there. There was the emotional and physical pain, the humiliation of having this done publicly. It was done in the most public place it could by kind of roads and where roads would cross where there would be lots of people and they would hurl insults. Um, at the victims on the cross while they're dying just at, to add insult to injury and make the whole ordeal as horrific um, as possible. And it often took hours and hours, hours, even days for the victim to die and which just drew out the pain and the suffering. And in this, that context, Jesus then speaks and we have the words recorded for us. And so I want to read the first one. So if you've got your Bible open, Luke 23, I'm going to start verse 33 and just read a few verses which contain our first word it says this and when they came to the place that is called the skull there they crucified him that's Jesus and the criminals one on his right and one on his left and Jesus said here it is father forgive them for they know not what they do and they cast lots to divide his garments and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. Jesus said, Father, 
forgive them for they know not what they do. The first word Jesus spoke from the cross. So let's go through this. We can look at three things. We look at the who, the what, and the why, and then we'll see what we can learn and see what we can do out of this. The first thing is the who, and that's just one simple word, Father. Jesus, while he's dying on the cross, is speaking directly to his Father in heaven. This is a word, this is a word and a name Jesus used exclusively for God. Um, I think uh, I've read that there's only one exception when Jesus doesn't use the word Father. And we're going to come to that in week four of this series. Every other time Jesus first got, he refers to him as Father, his Father in heaven. And that first of God, the Father, the first person of the Trinity. He's the one who sent Jesus, God the Son, to earth with the mission to redeem mankind by dying on the cross. And Jesus has an eternal loving relationship with his Father in heaven, something that existed before the foundation of the world. And Jesus even passed that on to his followers. His disciples says, when you pray, when you speak, you say, Father. In the Lord's Prayer, when we did our Teachers to Pray series, up the first week, the first word was just Father. That's how you approach God. He is your Father in heaven. And Jesus, despite his horrific suffering, despite his circumstances going through, despite the most difficult time in his life, um, he still has a relationship with his Father in heaven. And he can still approach him. He can still speak to him. His circumstances did not jeopardize it. They did not affect that. No matter how bad it got, he still had a relationship with his father in heaven and he calls out to him now in his most uh, midst of pain and suffering and he starts with father and then we get to the what 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 does he want his father to know he's speaking to him and if if the verse ended there we could kind of make a thought what do you think jesus would say next i imagine it wouldn't be this if we were on the cross and we had a request a request for our father in heaven at that point it again wouldn't be this but jesus says forgive them in Jesus' death and suffering and humiliation, he is praying on behalf of others. He is interceding for them. He is standing in the gap. Jesus speaks out not for himself, but for the benefit of others. Jesus is not looking to himself and what he needs. He is looking to others and what they need. Jesus is bringing others before his father in heaven. And this is mind-blowing when you think about what's happening to Jesus in this situation being mocked and abused and, and tortured and dying on the cross and what Jesus is doing he's, he's, is he's fulfilling his role as the great high priest when we um, preach the church through the book of Hebrews uh, there were many images that were taken from the Old Testament that were then applied to Jesus and one of them was the fact that Jesus was the great high priest now the high priest was those descended from the line of Aaron who would uh, serve in the temple and they would offer sacrifices daily along with the other priests and then once a year the high priest would go into the most holy place where the presence of God was and he would bring uh, the blood of the sacrifice the sacrificial lamb and he would offer that blood on behalf of the people for the forgiveness of sins and what Jesus is doing in this moment of his death is he is per perfectly fulfilling that role as the high priest. He is coming before his father in heaven to plead on behalf of others. He is asking for forgiveness on behalf of others. And not only is Jesus the perfect high priest who is asking God for forgiveness of others, he's also the perfect sacrifice. He is the lamb. 
He is the one who is dying on behalf of others. The blood that he is bringing to his father isn't the blood of a lamb. It's his own blood. And he is coming before God and he is calling out on behalf of others based on his own perfect sacrifice. Because he, as John um, said, John the Baptist said, he is the lamb of God. He will take away the sin of the world. And so Jesus comes before God, his father in heaven and he says, forgive them. So what is forgiveness? What's that like? Well, forgiveness implies that someone has done something that needs forgiven, being forgiveness, sorry. They have wronged someone somehow. There has been some kind of um, pain or action or something that's happened that has caused wrong to others. The Bible just calls this sin. And sin is falling short of God's standards uh, in things we say or we think or we do. And also falling short of God's standards in things we don't say, think or do. It cuts both ways. Uh, the Bible says God is holy. It says it more about God than any other of his attributes, which means he is pure. He is perfect. He is other. He is nothing like us. We are the very kind of opposite of that. And the biblical image for for forgiveness and for sin is debt, that you have a debt, you find you owe a debt. We find this in the Lord's Prayer. When we studied the Lord's Prayer this time last year, we talked about um, having our debts forgiven. Forgive us our debts as we forgive others who sin against us. And the idea is a debt is a payment owed. And a couple of weeks ago, we had Andy Martin preaching and he preached on the parable of the unmerciful servant and about the debt. There was actually, that was part of the picture, part of the story. There was a great debt of money that this man owed and it was forgiven it was wiped out in fact it was an unimaginable debt it was a, an unfathomable debt that could never ever ever be paid yet he was forgiven and this debt was wiped out and so when we talk about forgiveness we talk about something is owed by the wrong that has been done and someone is choosing to forgive or cancel the debt now this isn't something that is frivolous this is something that is costly if you forgive someone, you choose to wipe the debt, but you absorb the cost yourself. And so Jesus is asking for forgiveness for those um, around him. And so we come on to he's asking forgiveness for his father in heaven to the them. Well, well who are the them? He says, Father, forgive them. Well, who are they? Well, if we look at the context of the passage, you can see who Jesus is talking about. And I want to suggest three groups that we've read about, and then I'll add a fourth group that who are conspicuous by their absence. Well, the first group of the them is the indifferent people. It says that there were people who were who stood by watching. There were those who were just watching these events unfold, passive bystanders, indifferent, not bothered by what they saw. They were apathetic to Jesus' suffering. They praised him seven days before, less than seven days before, on Palm Sunday. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they are waving palm branches. And now they're just watching him die in the most horrific, cruel, humiliating way ever devised by man. And then you have the scoffing rulers. It says the rulers scoffed at him. Scoff means to, it means to lift up your nose. It means to kind of put your nose in the air that you're better than him. It means to deride or sneer or jeer. They, they see Jesus as less than them less than them and and they're just looking down at him and saying you just you're nothing you're nothing in, in our eyes they're just scoffing at him and then it says the the soldiers the one who've actually physically done the deed of of putting him on the cross putting those nails through his wrists this is they um they mocked him it means to ridicule to to poke to make fun of they were laughing they thought it's all a big joke 
They're having a bit loud. Jesus is such a big joke. Let This man is like dying horrifically in front of them. And they're the ones who've actually kind of done the deed. And they're having a good laugh about it. This great act of it's a, a, a cruelty on their behalf. They showed no mercy. They showed no respect, no kind of dignity. They end up, you know, as soon as they've got him on the cross and he's dying, they've had a laugh. They, they're gambling for his clothes. They're kind of going working out over the scraps. What can we take from him? And then the final group who are conspicuous by the, their absence are the distant disciples. They're not mentioned, but actually they're Jesus' closest followers, aren't they? The 12. They're the ones who should have been there. They're the ones who's been following him to the very end. But they're the ones who've run. They're the ones who've gone away. They're the ones who fled. Peter is particularly named by, by Luke, who actually denied him publicly and saying, no, I don't need him. So who needs forgiveness? Who is the them? Well, the answer is all of them. <laughs> Everyone needs forgiveness. There are those who are passive in the face of Jesus' suffering and sacrificing. They need forgiveness. There are those who sneer at Jesus and think he's not worth their time, their energy, their effort. They're better than him. They need forgiveness. There are those who laugh at him and write him off and think he's a joke or a punchline or just they need forgiveness. And there are those who say they love him and say they want to follow him but their actions don't match their word and they need forgiveness. And Jesus cries out in his worst, lowest moment, Father, forgive them. And so we've seen the who and we've seen the what. Now let's talk about the why. The third thing, it says, for they know not what they do. Why is Jesus pleading for their forgiveness? Well, simply this, they're ignorant. They just don't get it. They just don't get it. They just don't get who Jesus is. They, they, they don't know who Jesus is. They don't know who Jesus is. They don't see who he is. They, they, they call him names as a way to laugh at him. And we read in the passage, they, they, they mocked him by calling him names. They called him the Christ of God. They called him the, the chosen one. And they called him king of the Jews. And they used these to shame him, uh, to humiliate him to ridicule him, but here's the irony, here's the great irony. Every single one of those names was true. They were all 100% accurate. The names they, that they called him to be insults and to belittle and to add more to his suffering and to add more to his shame and humiliating were actually 100% true. He was the Christ of God, the Messiah, the anointed one. He was the one full of the Holy Spirit. Luke is at pains to point that out throughout his gospel as one come clothed in power from on high because of the Holy Spirit. He was the anointed one, the Messiah. He was God's chosen one. He was God's own son. God the son come to earth to redeem his people. He was the one. He was the king of the Jews, the long awaited king of Israel from the line of David who would come and rule and reign and lead his people. Yet they couldn't see it even when they got it right they were wrong the very fact that jesus was dying on a cross before their eyes they just couldn't understand how could the anointed one of god be like that they couldn't understand how that could be their king because he was dying so horrible horribly they they saw what was happening to jesus almost as a denial of his kingly status of his his divine status of who he actually was they were blind by their hardness of heart 
and their rejection and their pride and their arrogance. They did not see God's plans that were being revealed through the pages of scripture, which had been written down hundreds of years beforehand. They, they saw Jesus suffering as a denial of his status as Messiah and King. But the reality was it was essential to it. The fact Jesus had to come, he had to suffer, he had to die and then rise again. Jesus had been teaching about it. As you read through Luke's gospel, in your life groups, look out for that. Jesus tells them, this is what's going to happen to me. This needs to happen to me for the plan to work, for everything to come for fruition, for the plan that was began in eternity past and that will end in eternity future. This needs to happen. I need to die. I need to suffer. I need to be handed over. It's all going to happen. But none of those people could see it. They couldn't see who Jesus was. And the same thing is they didn't know the consequences of their actions. They just didn't know the consequences. They didn't see who Jesus was. Therefore, they totally missed what they were doing. Because actions have consequences. And the people involved here, firstly, they were condemning and killing an innocent man who had done no wrong. Which everyone should have an issue with. The God-fearing rulers in there, the soldiers, the bystanders, they should be, I think, this guy's innocent. We shouldn't be doing what we're doing to him secondly they're king they're killing the king of kings lord of lord creator of heaven and earth and by doing that they are putting themselves squarely in opposition to god as rebels as lawbreakers as sinners and they are putting themselves directly under divine judgment as a result they are totally clueless at what they're doing and the, the, the consequences of that and for them, obviously, ignorance is not, ex not an excuse. They were rebels, they were against God, and they had broken his laws. And they were under his wrath and judgment as a result. And in that position, they were desperately in need of forgiveness. And then for us, oh, Jesus prays for them. He prays for them. He sees the situation. He looks around in un unbelievable, unimaginable suffering, both emotionally and physically. And he looks at the people and he thinks, you just haven't got a clue what's going on. And so I'm going to intercede. I'm going to pray to my father in heaven that he will forgive you. So what can we learn from this? Just three things I want us to think about as we kind of wind this down. The first one is Jesus' motive is love. Jesus' motive is love. Even in his last moments, even in his last moments, his dying moments, his final breath, his thoughts were for others. He was praying for his enemies. And these weren't just conceptual enemies, people over there who might not like you. These were people who were actually killing him and being party to that. Even at his lowest point, Jesus' focus and heart was for others. And he's actually living out what he'd already said. If we go back in Luke's gospel, a few chapters, Luke chapter six, it says this. But I say to you here, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Jesus is literally giving fulfillment and living out his own words. He is loving them. He is doing good to them by praying for them, by seeking their blessing and saying, oh God, forgive them, Father in heaven, come. 
The apostle John, one of his Jesus followers said this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God's heart for people is love. The apostle Paul, who was a recipient of love, wrote later, he says, but God shows his love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died. While those people were doing those horrific evil things and Jesus was dying to bring that forgiveness to them. Jesus died on the cross for his love for mankind. He wanted to have a people for himself and to do that, he needed to deal with the problem, which was our sin. Second thing, Jesus' desire is to forgive. Jesus' desire is to forgive. This brings us to our need for forgiveness. Jesus asks forgiveness in his prayer and is answered by his own death. Jesus prays to his Father in heaven and then is the answer to his own prayer. By dying on the cross as that perfect sacrifice, he absorbs the divine judgment. He takes it on himself. He cancels the debt because he pays it. His debt, his death covers it. Our, uh, as we saw in that parable, our debt is infinite, but then so was Christ's death as the one, um, as only sacrificial lamb, perfect God, the son coming. He paid an infinite death because he was the infinite one. And he comes, and this wasn't a surprise. People think, oh, you know, Jesus died because public opinion turned against him. No, this was all part of the divine plan. It was all prophesied. All the things happen. You go through the Old Testament, prophecy of prophecy, which talks about Jesus' death, what was going to happen, even things like they were going to um gamble for his clothes you'll find that in psalm 22 it's all there so this wasn't a surprise it's all part of the divine plan and the people who were mocking him were basically saying you can't be all those things you are because of what's happened to you but actually jesus because of what was happening he was who we said he was he was who they said he was he was the anointed one he was the chosen one he was the king of the jews and everyone needs forgiveness and God's heart is for to give. The Apostle Paul says that we've all sinned and fall, fallen short of the glory of God. We all need our debts cancelled because we've all sinned before God. We have been passive like the crowd. We've sneered like the rulers and we've mocked like the soldiers and we've been distant when we think we are disciples. Even those who claim to follow Jesus as best we can have ended up falling short time and time again. But this word from the cross reminds us that Jesus' heart and desire to forgive and deal with our problem. There's a story in Luke chapter 5 that we're reading through it with our boys as part of our Christmas to the cross thing, where the, the man who's paralyzed is, is lowered down through the roof from his friends. And what's the first thing Jesus deals with? He deals with the problem of sin. He says, your sins are forgiven. And then he deals with the problem of the body and says, now you can rise up and walk. But he deals with the main problem, which is we need forgiveness. Because even though the man rose up and walked, wonderful miracle, praise God, he was going to die one day. And then he'd have to stand judgment. And he needs his sins dealt with. And Jesus died. He came to forgive sins. He came to have a relationship. With God. He came to deal with the debt and cancel it and to offer forgiveness to all. And the third thing that we can learn is that Jesus' ministry hasn't stopped. Jesus' ministry hasn't stopped. He died on the cross, but then he rose again on the third day. He died, the most horrific, horrible death, and we remember that, but he rose again. Good Friday leads to Easter Sunday. And then Easter Sunday leads to the ascension, and it says Jesus is ruling and reigning in heaven. Even now, 
is interceding on our behalf before his father in heaven. Our great high priest is ruling and reigning in heaven. He is alive and well, and he is standing before his father even now saying, I'm, I'm interceding, I'm bringing for you, before you my people, making requests of these things. We have, John writes later in 1 John 2, it says, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Yeah, Hebrews 7 says he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God since he always lives to make intercession for us. The high priests of old at the temple, they were imperfect. They had to offer sin for themselves. They grew old. They died. We have one who had no, doesn't have to offer any sin for himself. And the, the blood he brings is his own perfect, fully righteous blood. And he lives forever to bring forgiveness to all his people. So what can we do from him? Three final things to finish. And then I'm going to pray. What can we do now? What can we take away from this first word of the cross? The first one is we need to see Jesus for who he is. We need to see Jesus for who he is. We need to accept the truth of who Jesus is. He is God the Son. He has existed from eternity past. He came to earth, born of a virgin, grew up as a man, fully God, fully man. He was the creator of heaven and earth. He is our savior. He is our redeemer. He is the king of kings, Lord of lords. He is the Messiah, the anointed one, the lamb of God, the great high priest, the alpha and the omega. The names go on and on to describe him. Do not be like the crowd. Standing indifferent to him is just, he's not worth my time. Like the, the rulers who just sneered at him and looked down at him, the, the soldiers who mocked him and completely missed, even though they're the ones writing the label above his head. Believe the truth that is written in our Bible. If you're not sure, grab your Bible, start reading through Luke's gospel. Try and grapple with who Luke, one of those kind of guys who interviewed eyewitnesses and said who he was. Sing worship song which proclaim truth. I love what we're saying tonight. I love singing truth about Jesus. It reminds me of who he is. It builds up um, my soul. I saw the email that went out today that has songs kind of links on there. If you haven't clicked on the links and sang on some of those songs and the videos, do that. Get in, accept the truth of who he is. Get into your Bible. Get into that. Understand that. The second thing is we need to recognize our sin before him. Like the people and the rulers and the soldiers and the disciples, we all need forgiveness. That's why Jesus prayed. We all need it. No one is exempt. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've done it in thought and word and deed. We've done it by what we've done. We've done it by what we haven't done that we should have done. It's all happened. We all need our debts cancelled like that parable of the unmerciful servant. We all have debt that we need cancelled. And we need to recognise our sin before God. We need to recognise where we have failed and the third thing is we need to receive receive forgiveness from him we need to receive that forgiveness from him. jesus prayed he was the answer to his prayer in terms of he was a sacrifice he he made a way that we could be forgiven and come to know god for ourselves but we need to receive that if you're on this call and you're an unbeliever and you're just kind of looking in and you're just like i need to understand it i want to tell you you need to receive the forgiveness that God Jesus bought for you on the cross. You need to accept who Jesus is. You need to accept the truth about him that we find written in our Bibles. 
the truth that I've even proclaimed to you today, not because I said it, but because that's what the word of God says about God. And we are to trust that and believe that. We are to turn away from living our own life and being like the impassive, indifferent bystanders from those who sneer and mock and those who, who, who just are distant and kind of run away. We need to confess our sins. We need to recognize that we've failed before a holy God. We need to speak them out and then we need to receive our forgiveness from Christ. We need to receive it because his heart is for you. He loves you. He wants you. He wants to forgive you. He needs you to come to him. If you are a believer here, that is great news, which means that you have turned from living your way. You have had your sins forgiven. You have been made righteous and holy uh, and you are being adopted into his family and you are a beloved child of God, which is such wonderful news. But we know that we still fail daily. That's why Jesus gave us a prayer where part of it was that we should confess our sins. We say, Lord, forgive us our sins as then we forgive those who sin against us. It's something we do regularly. We keep going and we need to keep doing that. We need to keep coming for God and confessing our sins. We need to bring stuff before him where we know we failed, where we've mucked up, where we know we've been passive when we should have been active. We know we've been indifferent when we should have been concerned about someone where we've tended to look down on God and the ways of God and the things of God. And when we've even laughed about them, like it's a big joke, when actually we recognize, my goodness, this is the holy God creator of heaven and earth. And we need to take this a little bit more seriously where we've been distant. We've been absent. Like the disciples, they weren't even present there. They were somewhere else. Who knows what they were doing? Well, you know, you've been absent from God's presence, God's people. And actually, I need to be there. I should be connected in with that. We need to bring that before God and have it dealt with. And the great news for us is that Jesus' heart is to forgive. If there's anything that first word says is Jesus loves you and he wants to forgive you. While he was dying, being murdered in the most horrible way, his heart was forgive them. Forgive them. And we know that we can receive that forgiveness. We know that we can be cleansed from all our sins. We know that we can stand righteous before God. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is 1 John 1, 8 and 9. It says this, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we have to recognize that we sin. But if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is a promise that when we come to God, his heart is for us and we will forgive us. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter where we've been. It doesn't matter how we've done it, whether we've done it deliberately, willfully or ignorantly or stupidly. Whether it's small in your mind or big in your eyes, it doesn't matter. Come to God and he will forgive you. In Jesus' dying words, his heart was forgiveness for his people. Forgiveness for his enemies. Forgiveness those who hated him and stood against him. God's heart is forgiveness towards you. And so what we're going to do now is I just want to lead you in a moment of prayer, a moment of coming before God, a moment of just maybe taking on to get right with him while we do that. So maybe you just want to just get comfortable, close your eyes, put down what's in your hand, turn your phone off, close your eyes and just focus on him. And maybe just for a moment, reminded of those words that we read. And it says, and they came to the place that is called the skull and they crucified him. And maybe in your mind, just picture that there's a man hanging on the cross, blooded and beaten, dying, being mocked and abused by all those around him. And he says these words, Father, forgive them 
for they know not what they do. And that is the saviour of the world. That is the king of kings and lord of lords. That is God the son saying, Father in heaven, forgive them. And then he's the answer to his own prayer because he dies in our place for our sins. And then three days later, he rises victorious to life to confirm what he has done. And God's heart for you is for, is for forgiveness. God loves you. He's not, you. You don't have to earn it. He's already earned it. You just have to receive it by faith. And so what I'd love you to do now is I'm going to give a moment of quiet. I want you to bring before God whatever it is that you need to bring before God, whatever it is you need to do, and just simply confess it, which means particularly say it, and then ask for God's forgiveness. Amen. Now, this is important. If you have confessed your sins, you are forgiven. You need to receive that. Whatever you've brought before God now and you've confessed in faith and you've brought before him and you've accepted who he is and his sacrifice, you are forgiven, which is a thing we can celebrate. That is a good thing. That is why, why Jesus died. You're accepted. You're loved. He is for you. He doesn't hold it against you. He doesn't hold it over you. It is a wonderful, beautiful gift to be a forgiven individual. That debt is wiped off the balance sheet. It is clear. You don't have to owe anything. You don't have to earn any interest or pay off any extra. Jesus' death covers it all, which is just a wonderful thing. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for this word from the cross. We want to thank you that you came to die and rise again we want to thank you that you stay true to the mission even under the most horrific circumstances and we thank you that your death brought our forgiveness lord and in our ignorance and in our rebellion and our anger towards you you still forgave us and you made a way that me might come to you and god's people said amen amen melanie you coming Do you want to just, excuse me. Sorry, I have to stand on a stool to be tall enough to reach Stuart's screen. It just struck me when I read through Stuart's notes um, today, it just struck me that sometimes when we're um, when we see Jesus and all that he did, sometimes even as a Christian, we can find ourselves wanting to pray that salvation prayer and recommit our lives again. Um, and this won't be for everybody. And I know there's been significant moments in my walk with Jesus where I have knelt down and prayed that prayer again. So even as I was sat in there, I was thinking, there was a Brighton conference, a leadership conference, where I was presented with the truth of Jesus again in a way that really touched my heart. And I remember kneeling down and just weeping. 
And it felt to me like I got saved all over again. And I know that's not theologically correct, but it felt like a moment in my walk with Jesus where I just said, again, you can take my life again. You can have all of me. And it was a moment in my walk with him that was significant. I just felt when I read through Stu's notes, I just thought there's bound to be people who feel like actually presented with the truth again. I just want to say to Jesus, I'm all yours. And so if you feel like that's something that you want to do, you're welcome now to just kneel down where you are or just stand where you are or hold your hands up where you are and just say to Jesus again, I know that you're you died for me. I know that you've forgiven me for all of my sin. And I want to say to you again, Jesus, looking at the cross afresh tonight, that I'm yours and you're mine. Um, And these moments in our walk with Jesus can be hugely significant, but they're just a, a moment of surrender where we just say, Jesus, I'm yours and you're mine. And so I wanted to make sure that we had a moment where people could do that. So we're going to, again, just be quiet for a moment. And if you feel like just being presented with the cross again, you just feel like, Jesus, I just want to, again, commit my life to you. And you might have found lockdown really hard work and you might have felt distant from God or there might be things that you're wrestling with. But in this moment, it all goes quiet and all that matters is that he loved you enough to die in your place for all your sin he loved you enough to make you right with God and everything else hushes so we just want to give a moment where you can simply say to Jesus again I give my life to you And I would personally like to be helpful if you have prayed a prayer for the first time tonight, asking Jesus into your life, or you have made some kind of recommitment. I'd I'd like you to just let us know. We would love to help you on that journey of just going deeper and going further with God. We would love to be useful to you in your journey. And I know that there might be books we can help you with. There might be people we can buddy you up with. There just might be ways that we can just help you go further. I know in my Christian life, there's been books that have come alongside me and there's been people that have come alongside me that have just helped me get into the next bit of my walk with God. So if you know that God has done something you think I could just do with a hand, we would like to be able to help you. So just let us know, all right? I think I'm, am I passing that to you, Stuart, or over to 